Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. This is episode 29 and, as always, I'm your host, Tavis Media Managing Editor Andy Davis. It's a really interesting time this week as we all have to start formally wearing face masks in shops, which has caused some controversy. But I don't really mind. My other half has been insisting I wear a mask around the house since 2009. It's a mask of George Clooney. Anyway, we've got a great show this week as we're focusing on the state of the market in Scotland. First of all, I'll be catching up with retailer Keith Wilson at the Perth Kitchen Centre, and then we'll head over to Falkirk, where I'll be talking to James McMorrin from Karen Bathrooms, both very well-established businesses that have a unique take on what's going on in Scotland. But first... Tailless Media shameless plug time, and we're always trying to grow the audience of this podcast, so I'd really like you to do me a big favour and head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, search KBB Review, or one word and subscribe most of you listen via your web browser but i promise you as someone who listens to lots of podcasts as well as make them it's a much more seamless experience to subscribe you can see all the episodes so far get notifications when new episodes arrive and of course you can listen on the go and if you've been enjoying us all these weeks please leave us a very nice review as it really encourages others to give us a go and it boosts my fragile ego for a few minutes Right, let's start with one of the oldest KBB showrooms in Scotland and see how they're faring and getting on. So let's say hello to Keith Wilson from the Perth Kitchen Centre. Hello, Keith. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm all right, sir. It's nice and warm and sunny here today up in the loft. What's it like up there? Quite the opposite. Uh, Polar end of the spectrum, uh, teaming down with rain at the moment. In other words, it's Scotland. Yeah, yeah. We had sunshine yesterday for a good brief 10 minutes. Okay. (laughs) Right, now, obviously, you're in Perth. You're the Perth Kitchen Centre. But give us a little bit of the background on the company and the business itself. Perth Kitchen Centre was established in 1975. So it's been going for a few years, clearly not by myself, but it was a, a chap called Ewan McKellar that started the company who retired and sold the business on to me 14 years ago. So I've been here since. So quite a good heritage, long-standing customer base, and lots of loyal customers. How many kitchens would you sell in a week? Well, we're a small company, uh, so we one or two, we're comfortable with that. In the most positive way, a very typical independent kitchen retailer. Yes. So you're a KBSA member as well, aren't you, up there? You're very much involved with that. Very much so, yeah, yeah. I just recently taken the directorship of it for Scotland. Really keen to progress that, so interesting times. It certainly is that. Now, as everybody knows, the lockdown rules in Scotland have been different to England. So give us an idea of the current status of where you are. Are you open? That's that's the obvious one to start with. We're open for appointment only and really kind of launched that on 1st of July. Yes, because June 29th was the non-essential retail opening day in Scotland. Okay, so so what, what were you doing during the whole lockdown period then? Were you doing business? Were you doing remote meetings, that kind of thing? Yeah, uh, well, I uh, I continued to to work, working on plans, because obviously it's not a sweetie shop. You don't walk in and walk out with a kitchen, so there's a lot of preparation work. I have quite strong trade base, so uh, they were still inquiring. So I was planning, pricing, and communicating with the customers, both trade and retail. So I haven't been quite quiet. I tried to work from home. That was quite difficult. Having the, the children running through shouting daddy, daddy, daddy was a bit difficult. Was there enough business around to keep you going? I mean, what kind of status were you in through that lockdown? Was it getting a bit hairy or were you, were you confident that you were okay? Mixed feelings, to be honest. At the start of it, it was quite surreal. So I didn't really know what was going on, how, how it was going to react. 
So I took a, a step back, analysed who we are, what we are, and knew that we had enough business inquiries, solid leads, re people ready to press the button, knowing that if it was going to last a month, two months, three months, we would still come out of it uh, a little battered, a little scarred, but we'd still survive. Yeah, it was, it was a strange time. It still is a strange time. You know, it's, it's not done and dusted that everything's rosy in the garden yet. But, you know, people are still scared. Not enough in our abilities and, and who we are that we would come out of it. It's just in what state we would come out. The lockdown rules in Scotland have been different than England. How, how is the mood amongst the consumer and the customer there at the moment? The, the ones that we've spoke to are very positive, eager to get going again. Yeah, very positive, actually. The jobs that were suspended before the lockdown are just being picked up again. Yes, people are making appointments to come in to pick up the baton, as it were, and uh, move forward. I've got a, a meeting this afternoon, my colleague got a meeting tomorrow. Uh, we're trying to do at least one a day. The unfortunate thing is we're trying to prioritise these ones because the demand is high. You know, we're seeing longer lead times from our suppliers because they're going to be overwhelmed. So we're trying to get the, the more important ones over the line first and then start on the plans that are, uh, you know, in building control, etc. Three months ago, who'd have thought that would be a problem you'd have? The demand would be too high that you'd have to struggle with getting deliveries done. Well, yeah, nobody would have reckoned it. It's uh, a curious time, you know, we, our suppliers are, are, have uh, stepped up to the plate. They've continued supply. We've, uh, we, we deal with a few suppliers, German, Dutch, British. They've all continued. So we've had regular deliveries from Germany for the ones that had been booked in advance. At one point, we had a warehouse full of kitchens, uh, which have now all been delivered out for builders and our retail customers. What's your thoughts on letting reps and sales area sales managers, those kind of guys, back into the showroom? Are you, are you still hesitant about that? Not so much, as long as they follow the guidelines. You know, no hugging, no kissing. Uh, we can have a conversation over an island uh, because we're going to have a whole showroom free because we're locking the door. Uh, normally, well, what we would have done is I've got a small office uh, at the front of the shop that we use for presentation. We would have sat in there and had a cup of coffee, but the guidelines won't allow us to do that. I know this is uh, it's ongoing that we may change. Those goalposts are constantly moving about. Yeah, I'm okay with them, and uh, I've got a couple of appointments already booked in. You're very much going down the common sense route there, aren't you? Yeah, pretty much. Although, when, you know, if you get to know me, common sense doesn't seem to prevail with me, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> this whole experience of, the, of lockdown has given many people time to to reevaluate their businesses and equally has forced them to try new things. So what, what do you think you've learned during this whole time? I don't know. We've embraced technology a wee bit more. We're kind of old-fashioned. Uh, me, me and my colleague are both over 50, so embracing technology, the Zoom meetings have been a re revelation to me. You know, we've had a, a couple of the clients having a, a Zoom meeting, you know, sharing the screen, which is as good as having them in the showroom, but you don't have that personal interaction anymore, you know, over a desk, having a cup of coffee. But you, you have something very close with a Zoom meeting. So you can share the screen, show them the designs that they're working on. But do you think that gives you an opportunity to perhaps spread your geographical area out a little bit? Because you, the part of Scotland you are in does have some pretty remote bits to it. And, and that does give you the opportunity to perhaps have more meaningful conversations with people who do live out in the in the wilder bits of the country. To be honest, it's, that's not really changed. Because of uh, the heritage of the business, our clientele is 
bottom wide. So we do travel a fair bit, a bit of distance and people travel a fair bit of distance to us. It might benefit people from three hours drive away having a Zoom meeting rather than traveling all the way down to Perth or to Perth and doing an eight hour trip where we can do something over two hours over a Zoom call. I think that there's, there's going to be a massive benefit with that and people embracing that kind of technology, I think will assist us. This technology has been around for quite a long time, obviously. Isn't it funny that it's taken this to reset people's brains into thinking that this is actually quite a reasonable way to communicate with each other? Yes, I mean, I've, I've been, I like to shake people's hands, I like to meet people, and you can have, I like the, the body language aspect of taking them around the showroom, showing them samples. So now, I, still, I would still prefer that, but there is now another string to the bow that we can do this remotely, and I'm not scared of it. Which can only be a positive thing. I think it's about giving people the option, isn't it? Can I either come in, or we can have a quick chat about that worktop or whatever it is over the over a Zoom call. There's nothing absolute about either option. Well, it's given another the customer a little more control. Some people, you know, might not want to step out the house as yet. Some people are desperate to step out the house. You know, you've got reps that have been stuck in making telephone calls on a daily basis. Now they're eager to get to the face-to-face thing. Same thing for customers. My appointment this afternoon is for a couple that are based uh, on the other side of Edinburgh. That's where they live, but they have a property uh, north of Pitlochry, which is another hour from here. We could have done this by Zoom call, but they've preferred they want to come in and see me again. So I did give them the option that they chose to, to physically come and visit. The Perth Kitchen Centre, as you say, has been around since 1975. I mean, that's you know that's a long time. Mm-hmm. And you've been involved with that business for, what, nearly 15 years. That store, that showroom has seen recessions, political upheavals, weather. Lots of crises have come and gone. What's your gut feeling about what's going to happen next in, in all this? My gut feeling is that our industry has changed. It is going to change, I think, for the better for the independent company because people are seeing that we're not a big animal, uh, there's a personal touch to it, and we can adapt almost immediately, uh, rather than the larger larger companies. So I'm, I'm fairly positive, uh, or feeling positive, I should say, that we're going to come out of this better than we went into it. The thing that everyone was hoping for was pent-up demand, and that seems to be coming true. That There are plenty of people out there who, during lockdown, have decided they're going to either press on with the project they're already doing, or they're going to start a whole new one because they hate their kitchen so much. And if that burst of business then does fall off again afterwards, you're then in, a, in an environment that's much more familiar because it's economic downturn as opposed to lockdown due to a virus. The business that comes in through the pent-up demand period will see people through an economic downturn period much more than, than suddenly having to close the door. The whole working community has changed. People who used to have to you know, drive to their office to do their job. A lot of them have been doing that job from home. So I think uh, people's working environments are going to change. More people will end up working from home for larger companies if they can. The needs for larger offices, I think, is going to diminish. And for everyone, for, for trying to find a positive out of it, is that people that are working from home are going to realise that it might be time now to update their kitchen. The other thing that will come out of that is whether or not the home office market 
suddenly becomes quite a lucrative little sideline for you know, your average kitchen showroom. Oh, a lot of kitchen showrooms going to suddenly install a, a display for home office because this is now suddenly a thing that people are very conscious of. I mean, I'm sat up here in my loft and my home office is a Black & Decker workmate some plastic boxes and an old kitchen worktop between the two. That's my desk. And uh, I'm so desperate to have <laughs> something other than that that it's really worth thinking about. People with a lot more money than me will be able to do it. You're a bit far away from me to come and down and measure and do a home <laughs> office for you, Andrew, but I appreciate where you were going with that. Well done. But I'm a journalist, so I can't possibly afford any of these things. That's I mean, the problem. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, sure. sure. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the writing about it part of it, not the selling it. That's, unfortunately, that's the problem. <laughs> We've already had an inquiry to do a home office already. So, yeah, I think that demand's quite high. We just do kitchens. We don't do bathrooms or bedrooms. We just concentrate on kitchens. So I'm quite happy to do a home office for a, a kitchen customer. But I'm unsure if we diversify and just do offices. I don't know. It's a fluid time, so you take the opportunities when they, they arise. Well, look, Keith, thank you so much for talking to us today and sparing a bit of time. But, of course, there's one question that we need to ask, and it is the most difficult one, but it's also the most pertinent one of all, and that is, Keith Wilson, Perth Kitchen Centre, what is your deserted kitchen island disc? Right, OK. Well, it would be, at the moment, a feel-good song uh, would be a band called Idols, and their song, Great. Now, I am vaguely familiar with that one. It's a... Uh... got beat indie rock thing. Ah, it's a cracking song. I mean, it's, it's, it's my favourite band at the moment, and I'm very much into music, so trying to narrow it down to one song is extremely difficult. It's a bit topical. It's, it was based around Brexit, so if you want to listen to it, I would, uh, I would encourage it. Your outlook is incredibly positive, sir, so thank you so much for that. Uh, we'll hopefully catch up with you again and see how you're getting on up there because you know, they are two completely different countries. They are different markets, and so it's going to be really interesting to see how the two compare. So thank you, sir, and we'll speak again soon. You're very well. Let's go now to Falkirk and hear from a very proud and very historical Scottish manufacturer, and that's Karen Bathrooms, and we have Managing Director James McMorrin. Hello, James. Hi, Andrew. Good morning. How are you today, sir? We're doing okay, I think. Um, we're getting a little bit of Scottish summer, so it's overcast and 13 degrees. So we're, it feels like normality's returning, put it that way. <laughs> That's positively balmy. Absolutely. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds now to squeeze the entire 250, 260 years worth of, of Karen history into. Okay, so if people aren't familiar with Karen bathrooms, give us the potted background. The, the history goes back, as, as you've identified, to 1759. It was originally an ironworks, a huge concern, not only in Scotland, but globally. It exported all over the world. It's made, in its history, and it's long and at times checkered, it's made things from uh, post boxes, the, the iconic red post boxes and phone boxes. It created a word that's ended up uh, in the dictionary, the carronade, which was a short-firing cannon. Uh, designed for close combat battles in the Napoleonic Wars. And that was, I'd say, going back hundreds of years there. And since then, it's, it's it moved and diversified into the 20th century when people might be familiar with Cannes Bathrooms and uh, we had a, a kind of sister company, Cannes Phoenix. That all came about late 70s, early 80s, when the old Cannes company was too big to be saved and it was split up into various various companies but the two that have been most prominent were, were Cannes Phoenix and ourselves and unfortunately Phoenix took the decision I think three four years ago to move 
manufacturing overseas. So we are now the last piece of 261 years of manufacturing on this site. We've tried to continue in the traditions. We did a project just last year looking at some more of our history and some of the standards that we, the wording, the terminology we use, conformance and manufacturing excellence. You can see that throughout the company's history. So uh, we've tried to build on and, uh, and respect the heritage that's behind it without you know, looking too far back and also looking to the future. So our, our business now is, is purely uh, manufactured acrylic bathtubs. Uh, as well as a super reinforced Karenite product that we make. That has been Karen Bathroom's business since 1982. Before that, there was still steel manufacturing going on, but we are now focused exclusively on, on acrylic manufacturing of baths and panels and whirlpools and freestanding and everything that goes with it, um, and all located at, at our site here in Falkirk. Karen Phoenix was part of the Franca Group, so it was, it was obviously part of a much bigger multinational company. Yes. But you, you are just you, aren't you? Yeah, we're independent. My father owns half of it and his business partner owns the other half and they've owned it for 20 years this year. Before they owned it, it was owned by five guys who bought the, who created the original Karen bathrooms out of the remnants of the Karen company. Right, so as you say, there's been a lot of personal investment and not just financial investment into keeping that business where it is, making what it does. As such, I guess it's a very important part and has been for those 200 odd years, a part of the local community. Oh, massively. So, I mean, the, the area uh, is, is obviously we're called Karen after the area. The area is Karen within the Falkirk Larder area. And, and there's been a history, a rich history of ironworks and skilled, skilled uh, trade around here. So we've got guys, in fact, the average length of service for a while was over 18 years. And we've got 112 people on site. So there's, a, there's an incredible legacy. You're talking our production manager, Colin, by his own admission, has had the longest apprenticeship in Falkirk. He was made production manager in January. He actually started with us 33 years ago. And his father worked for the Caron Company. His mother worked for the Caron Company. His grandparents worked for the Caron Company. So there's a long history um, of people in this community working at Caron. And it, we, you'll remember we had the severe snowstorms. I think it was 2018. And everybody got to their work because they all live so locally. That tells you just, you know, how we're, we're literally in the middle of the community and that's important. We want, to, we, want, we want to keep that. Let's bring this up to date now then. Give us the sort of short version of, of how things are for you right now. Is everything back to normal as much as normal can be? In terms of activity, yes. We obviously went into this in March, actually, actually with a bit of momentum. We'd had a good start to the year, January, February. We, we went to the KBB exhibition in, in early March, which feels like a lifetime ago now. And we came in ahead of uh, t- double digits ahead in the first two months obviously that tapered off but until the day when prime minister put us into lockdown all the indicators were good at that point you literally have no orders we received six percent of our normal order intake in april um, which was all from overseas and as the english economy was um, released i guess you i think you guys are about three weeks ahead of us we start to see momentum gathering and we, we keep a graph for order for order intake and it's shot back up to the expectation for this time of year. And in fact, we'd anticipate it's going to go above last year and this week. So you couldn't really have foreseen that coming. The challenge for us was obviously that the Scottish devolved government has had a slightly different approach in terms of keeping us a little bit more uh, locked down, which meant we weren't able to open fully until two weeks ago. Um, so there was pent up demand building there, which is going to take a bit of a little bit of catching up 
we're actually going to bring in some additional labour, um, which there can't be too many people looking to do that to try and get through this this backlog. But if we if someone had said to me in April what was my anticipation, I would have I would have suggested if I was being ambitious, two thirds. So to be back at full capacity, it's a very very unnerving feeling to be honest because we just weren't prepared for it. Yes, and I suppose that it's a nice problem to have, isn't it? But no manufacturer of anything wants peaks and troughs. They want a consistent, easily predictable, easily planned flow of work to keep a factory busy. What can you predict? What can you plan right now? I mean, you're absolutely right. The key for us is to flatten the curve all the time. What we're trying to to look at is we, we keep a huge amount of data here to try and make sure that we are looking for trends before they happen. We work very closely with our distributors in England. Um, they send us good information that allows us to see their, their activity. But I think the acceleration probably throughout June in England was unforeseen. Obviously, from our, our distributors have both made big commitments to Karen, but they, obviously they were reluctant to go too quick. Uh, they wanted to see how sustainable this recovery is going to be. And then all of a sudden, once you get the feeling that it is sustainable, but at least you know we've got enough work on the books now to see us through the third quarter quite comfortably. You've got to start stepping up, but you've got to ta- you've got to taper that in and, and, and factor in the fact that social distancing is now part of life, and we've had to put in staggered start shifts, and um, so we've got four start times. That adds obviously you've got to keep more coverage of supervision, and then on top of all of that, we've had the one or two parts of the factory that haven't been adapted to allow people to work in a normal a normal fashion. So. It's kind of been every week's presented a new challenge. Uh, and as the orders increased, you know, we, we've had to try and respond to that quickly because clearly there's an appetite for bathroom products uh, and we want to make sure we can, we can fulfill that. Was there a time at the back, right at the start of the lockdown where you really started thinking, hang on a minute, this might actually go south here? The weight of responsibility that you have for the history and for the role you play in the community, was there a moment there where you, where you thought, hang on a minute, if this doesn't sort itself out, we could be in trouble? We were relatively confident. As an independent business, you have the ability to keep a strong cash position, which was always a key. We own our own premises, so we didn't have to find a rent check. The furlough scheme that the, the Chancellor put in place, without that, I mean, yes, it would have been, I don't know what would have happened, if I'm honest. I mean, we, we, we've managed to get to the half year in a far better position um, than we would have possibly anticipated. We had quite a lot of stock as well, which was helpful because we were able to sell that and generate more cash. But you're absolutely, I mean, when it, when it first became apparent that the economy was effectively going to shut, we, we predicted we could probably ride it out for six months. The speed at which it's opened back up again, we, wouldn't, we couldn't have predicted. And that's given us a lot of comfort. But no, I think, I think at the beginning, yeah, I'll not, I'll not lie, it was a very, very scary time. It made the financial crisis at 0809 seem very, very small in comparison. Obviously, we've still got a lot of challenges to come, but we've been able to adjust and adapt pretty quickly. Uh, and, I, and I think like a lot of businesses in this industry, if they're independently owned and managed, they've kept that rainy day fund, which has allowed them the thinking time. So hopefully, we can continue in the vein that we've been in. But yeah, in March, when it shut down, um, I think that we were overtaken by events a little bit, making sure everyone was furloughed correctly, making sure we had all the paperwork correct. You weren't, I wasn't really probably thinking about the, the future, but fortunately it looks like we might be able to, if, if this can sustain, we, we, we might come out of this year far better than we could have possibly predicted going into this lockdown. 
which is brilliantly positive news, of course it is. Yeah, you've touched on it a little bit, but what differences were there between the way the Scottish government and the English government handled this whole thing? Did it hamper you, there being a differentiation between those two approaches? Yes, it did a little. Obviously, our principal market is, is, is in England and, and, and the rest of the UK. Uh, we've got export business as well. There was never explicit guidelines by, from the Scottish government that you couldn't open they were just advising you not to. So clearly you want to keep the workforce on side because they're, they're, they're vital. Uh, the union understood that if we weren't able to fulfil these orders, somebody else could, and therefore we could lose some market share, which would be bad for the overall. So once we were able to bring some people back, we actually brought people back in early May to fulfil export. And as that was coming to an end, England started to really ramp up. So we were able to keep them in again. At fi- we had 50% capacity. Fortunately, that's now raised up to 100. But the Scottish government, we, we saw it very, very clearly. We could see our orders from our English customers four weeks before Scotland. Uh, I would say only the last two weeks since Scotland came formally out of phase two and into phase three have we seen normal Scottish numbers. So you could, you could definitely see the sort of lag between England lifting restrictions and Scotland. And it did cause a problem in terms of manufacturing because we want to be, we want to be compliant to the law. We don't want to break the rules. But equally, you've got to find a way of making sure there's a business to come back to. Yes, it's odd, isn't it, that suddenly England felt like an export market, I guess. It did. It did a little bit. And um, there's all kinds of constitutional things that go on with Brexit and uh, Scottish independence. And uh, We're not keen. England represents our, our biggest market, but it did feel like that. It felt like we were dealing, you know, I would talk to the distributors and they would tell me, they would report numbers to me in terms of levels of activity and they were... We were still very much in a lockdown phase. So it was hard to, you know, it wasn't hard to believe them, but it was hard to understand what was going on because the streets were quiet here, everything was shut, the roads were quiet, and they were telling me they were busy. So it was, yeah, it was it was a big, a big challenge getting over that, you know, when you're working in, in one country but with two completely different approaches. And who knows which one will be proven to be to be successful. But it, it does feel at the moment that, you know, Scotland's, we've, we've got a slightly better grip on it now because we've got a lot of space up here, to be fair, more than anything else. But obviously the, the success of the English lockdown and, 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 and unlocking that, that's essential for us going forward. Let's try and avoid, if we can, Scottish nationalism and Brexit in the same conversation. <laughs> Instead, we'll just discuss the death penalty or something, something much more or less controversial. Absolutely. But I'm just wondering if there's a mood or a vibe that comes out about people just looking a bit closer to home for their supplies, for their products. Are people just a little bit more conscious of trying to be a little bit more regional and local in what they do, do you think? Absolutely. I mean, when when we first, what we were getting in the early stages of lockdown, when we were truly all in lockdown, was people, I guess, stuck in the house, looking around the house and seeing what needs to be done. And we were getting quite a bit of that. And a lot of the inquiries coming from consumers related to the history of the company, understanding what we do, how we do it, where we do it. And I think there's definitely going to be a pull towards looking. Uh, I mean, look, that's how, you support your, that's how you support your economy. The more we can produce ourselves, and there's not a huge amount of manufacturing left in this industry, let alone industry uh, across the whole whole economy we don't want to lose any more it's once it goes it's very hard to bring it back and i think there's a i don't think it's an over nationalistic pride i think people are just looking to to source locally if they can if they can find the product and the product ticks the boxes they're looking for 
then yeah, hopefully there will be a, an opportunity for Canon and, and any other British manufacturer to start getting on top of that. It's, it shouldn't come for free. It shouldn't just come because we're British. It should come because the product, uh, the price point, everything that a consumer will make a decision on has to be market leading. But it, it will definitely add an advantage to, to us and to other UK manufacturers because I think there is going to be a pull towards supporting our own economy whenever, whenever we can. Let's try and conclude and bring some of these thoughts together here because I'm, I'm wondering what your gut feeling is as opposed to what you're kind of planning off on a spreadsheet. What's your gut feeling on what the next 12 months will bring in terms of the market? If we, if we, if we sort of eradicate the, the possibility of a, a full second wave, my, our, optim, our numbers now are more optimistic than they would have been. We, as it stands, we'll, we'll, I think we'll know more than a couple of months, but all of our projections would suggest we're heading back to normal activity. Uh, whether there's pent-up demand, we'll not probably know to August. But given that our normally our busiest spell, I think like a lot of people in the industry, is quarter, in, end of quarter three into quarter four, our expectation is that we can, the market here could hold up pretty well based on everything we've seen so far, based on the, the anecdotal conversations you have with friends and customers about you know, they're going to put their holiday money into their house. And, and I think for ourselves, for our, for our customers and for, and for the, the installers, that's a good opportunity for us as long as we're ready to take it. Which is, again, brilliantly positive news. And I think there's an awful lot of people out there that are sharing that sentiment. There's a bit of time we'll tell about how long the pent-up demand will last for. But hopefully, if it sees people on the other side of January, then we might be through the worst of this. The important question here, James, is, and I think we're all, we're all looking for the regional variation here, and the question that is that the people are really governing the future of this industry by, which is, what is your deserted kitchen island disc? The song that's, uh, I suppose, got me through this last week, this wee bit, and hopefully will take us forward, is uh, it's an old one that's a classic, but it's uh, Start Me Up uh, by the Rolling Stones. Oh, fantastic record. Great song. A second appearance of the Rolling Stones in our rundown, I think, although I'm not keeping enough of a track to keep count. But that's a fantastic answer. Thank you so much. That is a, that is a proper get-up-and-dance song. So thanks so much for your time, James. I really do appreciate it. OK, well, thanks, Andrew. That's really appreciated. Thanks for, uh, thanks for asking us to participate in the podcast. And uh, good luck and stay safe. Thanks, James. And we'll catch up again soon. Thanks a lot. And that's it for today's trip to Scotland. A huge thanks to Keith and James, who, I'm sure you agree, both have some very insightful and very positive views on the market, as well as the Scottish weather. Don't forget to head over to your podcast app of choice, Apple Podcasts for most people, and subscribe, rate and review us. Just search KBB Review, all one word, and you'll find us. See you next time.